And uh, I have a feeling of a big crowd at 945. What do you think? People showing up going, is it? Is it 8.30? No, it's 9.30. But anyway, that's all right. Let's stand up and let's sing. We're going to ask the Lord to open up the heavens, show us his glory.
You can be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We're so glad that you're here. And I know that sometimes this is this morning to get up for. There was a graphic on our Facebook page that talked about like there's the tall coffee, the venti, and then the daylight savings coffee. Yeah. And, uh, but man, we're so glad that you're here. And if you're a guest with us, we're especially glad that you're here. Uh, the one thing we ask is that you fill out that guest registration card that's located there in the PRAC. Uh, there's a spot on the card. If you have a prayer request, we'd love to pray for you. Or if you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, we'd love to get you information about our church. And then later, after our service, if you'd go to the Welcome Center, it's just right out the double doors and to the left, uh, our pastor, Dr. Cox, will be there, and you give that card to him. He's got a small gift for you for coming and being a part of our service. And so we enter now into a season of prayer for North American missions. So if you look at your worship guide, you can kind of see the graphic there. And basically, as we turn our attention to the Easter season, thinking about Jesus dying on the cross, being buried and rising again, uh, that just reminds us of the gospel. And so we pray for missionaries here in North America. And then as we pray, we also give. And so in this offering, I just want to give you a quick picture of the breakdown of what you're giving to. 70% of the dollars given to this offering go to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. This helps church planners all across North America. 20% go to the golden offering for Tennessee missions. And so we'll hear more about that next week. 7% go to the Tennessee Baptist Children's Home, and then 3% goes to the Tennessee Baptist Adult Homes. And so to give you a better picture, though, of how this offering is being used to uh, basically spread the gospel throughout all of North America, we've got a short video. So if you will, for just a moment, let's watch this video together as we turn our attention to this offering. In our town right here, it's kind of sad. There's been a lot of shootings, a lot of people getting killed, and um, it looks nice, but it, it's a little rough. I grew up in Sanger. It was just, you know, drugs, alcohol, in trouble all the time, in and out of jail, and that's where I surrendered my life over to Christ. I gave up. I said, God, I, I know you didn't create me to live this kind of life. I just give my life over to you. Do something with me. Ever since then, it's just been... There's no going back. It's all Jesus, man. Before we started the church, he's like, we're going to plant a church. And I looked at him and I said, you are crazy. Like, we were in such a tight financial position that I'm like, there's no way. I got connected with Southern Baptist and we were able to get funding coming in. So we planted a church. We're more of a laid back church, you know. How you look on the outside doesn't matter. Some of the people that come to our church, if they were to visit your church, you guys might be a little scared of them because they might look a little rough, a little tough. We try to get people that are on the street to come to church. We had that opportunity where we'd feed people. The food draws people in, and, and the food is our way of using it to share the gospel message because that is our number one goal. Seeing these men, these women, these, these children, to see the joy in their eyes when they realize and they recognize that they're not alone. It's just building those connections and, um, and letting people know that, you know, they're loved. What Pastor Jacob has offered us is a, is another opportunity, you know, that, that the world was not going to give us. Because all of us were wicked men at one point in our lives. But this man looked past all that. He just shows us love that the, that the world didn't show us. Because of the giving of Nan that we've been receiving, we're not left alone. It's a blessing and it helps us just to keep going forward. Being the church to the community, to our neighbors that are right across the street, showing love to them, you know. That's just what it's all about. Amen. Let's continue to worship together. Please stand with me and let's sing.
goal to come before you and lay our hearts and our worship and our minds to you before you this morning, hoping that it'll be something pleasing to you. Let's sing together. I surrender. Riches of this world will fade. The treasures of our God remain. Here I empty myself. World, nothing, and find everything in you. Riches of this world will fade. Treasures of our God remain. Here 
Well, Lord, we come before you this morning just laying on the altar all that we are. Lord, we pray that our worship, our hearts, our minds, our singing has been has been something that brings you glory, Lord, that brings honor to you and pleases you, Lord. Lord, we ask you to open our ears and our hearts. I know we're sleepy and maybe we haven't had enough coffee this morning to wake us up, but Lord, supernaturally open up our ears and our hearts and our mind to hear from you this morning the message that you have laid out for us today that we may become more and more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Good morning, good to see you today. Glad you're here to worship with us. I want to say just a word to men here today. There's a men's ministry beginning tonight, 6 o'clock, a monthly men's gathering. There's a desire among some men in our church for fellowship and connection, beyond connection groups, you get some of that there, but across generations, uh, to how to be a Christian man in the world today. And so Daniel McKenzie is beginning tonight a monthly men's gathering, 6 o'clock on Sunday nights, once a month. I want to invite you to come from college age through senior adults to fellowship with men, to support one another, to learn and to pray together. I invite you uh, to be a part of that as we seek to be godly men in this world. There are certain days on the calendar that you need to be aware of in advance so that you can be ready for them. Today is like that, right? March 14th is when daylight savings time began, and so you had to think of that ahead of time so you could set your clock and be ready for that. April 15th, for many of us, is a day like that. That's when, for most of us, your income tax is due, and so you have to think about that day in advance so that you can make the proper preparation and not get caught off guard. Well, today I want to talk to you about another day like that that we need to have on our radar so that we can make preparation for it. The Bible calls it Judgment Day, a day that God has set. So today what we're going to look at is uh, survey what the Bible says about Judgment Day or what the New Testament says. Look at 12 different passages. Sometimes we pick one passage, sort of dig into what it says. Today we're getting the broad view, share 12 different passages about what the Bible says about Judgment Day. I want to begin with a verse that I think may be the best verse to summarize it. It's Acts 17.31. Let me read it to you and then we'll break it apart. Acts 17.31 says, For he, that's God, has set a day... When he'll judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, he's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So it says God has set a day. So there is a date on God's calendar for judgment day. So there is, we're talking about a future day after the return of Jesus Christ. We don't know when it'll be when God is going to judge the world. Now, God has judgment days within history, little judgment days. The Bible talks about in 587 B.C., God judged the nation of Judah and said, I'm going to discipline you because you've turned away from me, you're going to destroy your nation. 70 A.D., he did the same thing again to Jerusalem. I really think that America, so God judges peoples and people groups and nations within history. I really think we've had two judgment days in the last 20 years. 
I believe that uh, 9-11, September 2001, when those planes crashed into the Pentagon and the towers were, was God's disciplinary judgment because he loves us getting our attention and, and bringing us back to him. I believe that this pandemic is a second one within a span of 20 years. And you say, well, those two things couldn't be God doing that. Those were bad. That's evil. That's from the devil. I believe that's true. But I believe God uh, allows the devil to do that. The devil can't do anything God doesn't allow him to do. God's sovereign. And so God has permitted that devil to do that evil to bring us back to him. But there's coming a future day that's go, when he's going to judge the world, not Israel or Jerusalem or America, not disciplinary judgment to bring us to repentance, but he has set a day when he will judge the world. The next phrase, he set a day when he'll judge the world with justice. There's a lot of talk about justice right now, right? And there's a hunger for justice. And justice is not always done in our world, but it will be on that day. You can be sure God is very concerned with justice. And there's coming a day when he'll judge the world with justice. For he has said a day when he'll judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. That's Jesus. So Jesus is not just another religious figure. He is the one to whom God has delegated judgment of the world how do we know that he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead so the resurrection is proof of Jesus credentials to judge the world and God said today when he'll judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed he's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead now what's going to be the purpose of this judgment day what, what's that going to be for The purpose of Judgment Day is not, as some people might think, to determine who goes to heaven or hell. You stand in sentencing before a human court and there's some suspense until the verdict is announced and uh, then uh, you hear whether you're guilty or not guilty. I'm saying to you that there won't be that suspense at Judgment Day. Why? Because Judgment is based on whether you believed in Jesus Christ or not in this life, and that's sealed at your death, and you'll know the moment you die where you're going to spend eternity, for at the moment you die, you're going to go to paradise or you're going to go to torment. And then when Jesus Christ comes back again, you're going to be raised from the dead. Your spirit, when you die, is going to go to to heaven or to hell, to paradise or torment. When Jesus comes back, You're going to stand before him, body and soul, in judgment. But there's not going to be any suspense of, oh, I wonder, are we going to make it? No, if you've died, you may have spent 10 years or 100 years or 1,000 years in paradise before judgment day. Or if you live until Jesus Christ comes back again, the Bible says the first thing that's going to happen is the dead in Christ are going to rise and be caught up in the air and meet him in the air. So you're going to know immediately So what's the purpose of Judgment Day then? There's not going to be that suspense. You see, John chapter chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. You don't have to wait till Judgment Day. If you haven't believed in Jesus, you stand condemned already because you've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So we're all already condemned 
And only those who believed in Jesus escaped that condemnation. So judgment day, there's no going to be any suspense. You've already been in, in paradise or, or in torture. So what's the purpose of judgment day? Well, let me share with you a couple of things. The purpose of judgment day is not to determine who will go to heaven or hell. Judgment day will reveal the hidden things of life. Judgment day will reveal the hidden things of life. Let me read to you Luke 12, 2 through 3. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. Wow. So Judgment Day will be uncovering what is covered. It will be exposing what is hidden. It will be making known what has been whispered and concealed. Why? The purpose of this will be that Judgment Day will confirm the righteousness of God's judgments. In, in Romans chapter 3 verse 4 it says, So that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. You know there are a lot of people that say, God's not fair. God wouldn't have let this happen if he were, he were fair or, or loving. And Judgment Day is going to reveal all of the circumstances and all of the motives and all of the hidden things. And God is going to be proved to be right. That he is, so Judgment Day vindicates the righteousness of God, or it confirms the righteousness of God. Romans 3.19, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. So any protests that God is not just or fair or good will all be silenced on that day as Judgment Day gives us the whole picture of life and of history. What's going to happen to those of us who have believed in Jesus at Judgment Day? Why why are we there? What will happen when we stand? You see in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 5 verse 10, it says, For we must all appear. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, to believers. He said, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what's due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So we're going to stand before the judgment seat. So after the resurrection of the dead, you'll have a redeemed body, but we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? What's going to happen there? Are our sins going to be brought up? Some Christian teachers believe, uh, this is not what I believe, some Christian teachers believe that when you as a believer stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that all of your sins will be exposed, laid bare, uncovered, and then pardoned. I don't believe that. I don't think that's going to be too happy a day if that's what happens. I'm not looking forward to that. I don't believe that. I don't believe it because I don't think that's the nature of God's forgiveness. It says in Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. So I, I, I don't believe that God is going to bring up our forgiven sin at Judgment Day. God teaches us to forgive others, and I think the very act of what forgiveness is, is that you don't bring it up to your spouse anymore when you forgive it. You don't use it in a fight anymore. 
you still may have the hurt and the feeling, but forgiveness is letting go of that. So what God wants us to do, I believe, is what God does. And so I believe our sins before we were saved and all of our sins that we've confessed after we've saved are under the blood of Christ and are, will not be brought up. In other words, the things that I have whispered in the dark will not be brought to the light if I have repented of those and turned from them. And so I believe that Christians have that joy of knowing that sins are completely forgiven and they'll not be brought up at Judgment Day. But I believe that we'll give account of unrepentant sin. Unconfessed, maybe you could use the word unconfessed, but really the word is unrepentant because it means not just to say it, keep doing it, but to say it and to turn from it when we've repented of our sin. So if there's persistent sin in my life as a believer, if there's ongoing sin, uh, if there's sin that I have not turned from and confessed, then I believe that will be brought up at Judgment Day. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is why repentance is still important for a believer. It's why confession of sin is still important in our lives that we examine our lives and turn from it because uh, I, I don't want to stand before God and have to give an account for that. So if there's persistent sin in your life, I believe that we'll give an account of that in Judgment Day. And that's one of the purposes of standing there before God when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the things done in the body, whether good or bad. I think there's a second aspect of it for believers. Not only will we as believers give account for unconfessed or or, uh, persistent sins in our life, but we will give an account of what we have done with our lives or the stewardship of our lives. We'll give an account of our service, our works, what we have done with our lives after we've been saved. Since you've been saved and redeemed, what have you done for God? How have you been a steward of your time and your money and your spiritual gifts and your opportunities? It matters how we live. And so at Judgment Day will be an evaluation of have we done anything for Christ? Let me show you that in the scripture, just in case you don't believe me. Let me show you that in the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 says, By the grace God has given us, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. So the metaphor here is he's comparing how we live our lives to building a house. Okay? You get the comparison? You're building day by day. You're adding some bricks, adding some two-by-fours. How are you building? So that's what he's saying here. Paul said, I laid the foundation in my missionary work, and as a wise builder, everybody's building on it. He says in the next verse, verse 11, no one can lay any foundation other than the one that's already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation of a Christian life is Jesus Christ. You're not going to heaven unless you believed in Jesus. We're all condemned. We're all lost. But if you believe in Jesus, he takes the punishment for your sin and your sins are forgiven and you're going to heaven. That's the foundation. Now, here's the life you build on it. Verse 12, 
if anyone builds on this foundation, talking about a Christian then, building on the foundation of Christ, and again, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. So he gives six examples of building materials. The first three are expensive, enduring. The last three are cheap and are uh, temporary. Their work, verse 13, will be shown for what it is. Here's that revealing. Your work, your service, your life will be revealed for what it is because the day, with a capital D, that's judgment day, the day will bring it to light. So on judgment day, it's going to bring to light what you've been doing with your life. He died for you. Now you've accepted him as Savior. How are you living for him? Are you doing anything to share the gospel, to serve his church, to to minister to people, It'll, it says it will be revealed, still in verse 13, with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So it's sort of like in this metaphor that you've been building all your life. And then there's going to come a refiner's fire at the end of time. And he's going to set fire to your building. And if you've built with wood, hay, or stubble, it'll be burned up. But if you've built with precious metals, it'll just be refined. And notice it says the fire will test the quality of each person's work. It doesn't say the quantity of each person's work. You may not <coughs> have the gifts of someone else. <clears throat> you may have been saved later in life than someone else. But it will test the quality of your work. With the time that you've had since you've been saved, uh, with the gifts that you've been given, great or small, with the area of influence, some of you have influence with a lot of people, some of you just have influence with a few, that's not the issue. But it will judge the quality of each person's work. Verse 14 says, if what has been built survives the builder will receive a reward. So this standing before the judgment seat of Christ will be a giving of rewards because there will be some who have built well. And it says in verse 15, if it is burned up, that is there has been nothing in your life of substance, there has been no, you have spent your life on trivial things that are not of eternal value, You've spent your time and spent your money and spent your influence frittering away on, on uh, foolish or, or insubstantial things. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames or with the smell of smoke. So it says that some will get to heaven but with no reward they'll lose what could have been a great reward um, that Bob, Jesus talks about it being that greater authority you've been faithful in small things I'll make you faithful over much so judgment day for the believer to sum up I believe is going to be not bringing up past sins don't you like that but it's going to be bringing up current sins so I want my accounts short, don't you? I want to be, stay confessed up, don't you? 
I want to be repentant. I don't want persistent, ongoing sin in my life that I would stand before Christ and have that exposed or uncovered. And what we've been doing with our lives will be revealed. So let me share with you what this means for our lives. What's the implication? What's the application for your life? Let me share four things with you of how I think Judgment Day changes the way we live and relates to life that we're living right now. Number one, and this sort of summing up what I've said, Judgment Day satisfies our longing for justice. Judgment Day satisfies our longing for justice. In Galatians 6, 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You see, in our national conversation right now, there's a great talk of justice. There's a trial going on in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota right now. Uh, The police officer uh, who uh, arrested George Floyd is being tried. And they've, because of the tension, they've had to put up barricades with with the uh, concrete barriers and razor wire around that courthouse. It's such a tense time. And the sister of George Floyd stood just this past week and said, we are praying for justice. There's our word that we saw. And what, uh, There's a longing for justice. And some feel there's not been justice. And I want to say to you, God is a God of justice. And justice is not always done in this life. Now, we ought to work toward it. We ought to be passionate for justice because we're to be what God is. But we don't know all the factors. We don't know. And whichever way that verdict goes, there are going to be some people probably that think that justice was not served. Let me put it to you this way from my, from my generation. The most famous trial of my generation was the trial of O.J. Simpson who was accused of murdering his wife and he was acquitted of that. And there are many who think that justice was not served in that acquittal. Did he really kill his wife? Well, if he did, when he stands in judgment, there's going to be one or two things happen. When O.J. Simpson, like every other human, stands before God on judgment day, either number one, before he dies, he'll confess that, repent of it, and turn from it, and I believe it will not be brought up or held against him of judgment day. It would be under the blood of Christ, just like your sin would be. So if O.J. Simpson really did that, and if he confesses that, and repents of it, and turns from it, then the blood of Jesus Christ is to, sufficient to cover that sin. But if he doesn't, then he's going to stand before judgment and give an account and everything that is hidden would be uncovered and revealed every conversation every act and there would be an accountability for that and justice will be done you see every sin is going to be punished Jesus will take that punishment so it's either going to fall on him or it's going to fall on you one or the other but we can live, you know, and you, maybe you get worked up at some of these trials. Oh, justice wasn't done. Well, that's okay. That's righteous anger. We want justice to be served in this day. God's a person of justice, and we have a passion for justice. But if it's not, 
or if you think it's not, or if you're not sure that it is, you can rest in knowing that there is that God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he's appointed. And we, can, we don't have to live exasperated, agitated lives. We can rest in that God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Here's the second implication of the truth of judgment day in Scripture. And that is that judgment day enables us to forgive others. Did you know that? Judgment Day can help motivate or enable you when it's hard to forgive somebody who's wronged you. Let me read it to you in Romans chapter 12 verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So, Vengeance is not ours, it's God's, because we're not equipped to it to do it because we don't know everything, but God does, and then we're not righteous enough, but God is, and so he says, you back off from revenge. You want to get back at somebody, if they don't repent of it, I'll pay them back. You leave room for God's wrath. And Judgment Day, knowing that that is coming, knowing that sin will not be unaccounted for, allows us, enables us to say, I'm going I'm to leave this in God's hands. I've been hurt by my ex-spouse. I've been hurt by this person at work. But I'm not going to try to manipulate and, and, and get back at them because I'm going to leave that to a God who is better able than I to do that. And Judgment Day enables us to be forgiving, knowing that justice will still be done. Either they'll receive the mercy of Christ that we have, or they'll pay for that sin. Let me share with you a third implication of the doctrine of Judgment Day. Judgment Day enables us to reserve judgment. It enables us to reserve judgment. Let me read that to you in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He'll bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. So Paul says, we don't know the full picture, so we reserve judgment. Now, there's some nuance here that, that you got to get. This does not mean that we can't, that we don't exercise church discipline or that we don't uh, condemn sin because I don't have this verse, you can read it in the very next chapter. In 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5, he says, um, judge nothing before the appointed time. In the very next chapter in 1 Corinthians 5 3, he says of a man who was living in adultery at the church of Corinth, I have already passed judgment on him in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, Now, see, if you don't get the full picture of Scripture, if you just get either one of those verses, you're not going to have a full uh, theology of of judgment. You've got to have both of them together. We have the right and the responsibility to exercise moral judgment. In 1 Corinthians 5, he said, this is wrong. I condemn what's going on in the church. And the church, if he won't repent, give him quiet opportunities to repent. If he won't repent, then that is a bad influence. You're going to have to confront him. I've already passed judgment. Then here he says, 
judge nothing before the appointed time. So what he means is we have the uh, responsibility to judge what's wrong, but we don't know the final destiny of a person. We have to be reserved when we don't have the full picture. And let me share with you something that's, that's personal to me. Ravi Zacharias is a Christian apologist who died just a few years ago who was a big influence on my life. I've got a bunch of his books. I've heard him speak. Ravi Zacharias went to college campuses and, and defended the gospel eloquently, a brilliant man. And then after he died, it's just been revealed that he was living an immoral life, that all these years he had pictures on his, on his phone of women and they did investigations and he had contacted these women. I won't go into the details of it, but let me just say it's a, it's a terrible thing. And you know, that just, oh, there's somebody who's been a big influence on me. Maybe you've had somebody in your life, a preacher or somebody who failed or, or sinned. And boy, that's just, it's just been a, a hurt to me. And oh, the influence that he had and the, the stain on Christianity that is. And I get to thinking, man, was, is, was he even a believer? How could all these years he be traveling and preaching and, and living that, that secret? Was he even a believer? And you know, here's what, I don't know. I don't. I just have to reserve judgment. I condemn his actions. His actions, just as First Corinthians five says, are condemnable. They are wrong. God hates that. But his destiny—he either is not saved, and he'll give an account in judgment day, or that persistent—he's saved, but that persistent sin in his life is going to be brought up on judgment day and he'll pay and he'll get into heaven as with the smell of smoke with his work burnt up. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know. I just, so I have to be, when I don't have the full picture, God calls us to reserve judgment. You ever judge somebody and later found out circumstances that made you change your mind? Charles Chuck Swindoll was a Bible teacher, uh, did a lot of conferences. He told the story of, he was uh, doing a Bible conference and sitting on the front row was a couple and the guy went to sleep in every session and snored. And he said, I got so mad at that guy and the woman sitting by, I thought, I had already figured it out in my mind. Here she's a godly woman and this guy doesn't care anything about the gospel and here he is. And, you know, if you're going to snore, what preachers want you to do is move to the back somewhere. You know, just sit in the back if you think, you know, don't sit on the front row and... <laughs> You know, that, we just don't like that. So he said, I had judged him that this, this guy probably wasn't a believer. If he was, he didn't care anything about the Bible I was preaching. He said, then after the session, the wife, the woman came up to him and said, oh, we're just so glad to be here. He said, you know, my husband is the one who insisted we come because he loves you and loves the word. She said, he has terminal cancer and he's on medication and he shouldn't be here because he can't stay awake and it makes him sleep. But he just wanted to support so much and he wanted me to be here. And Chuck Swindoll said, I felt just about that big, you know, because of my thoughts. So that's what this passage means. Would, would, would you hold back on judging people when you don't have all of the information? We're not, we're not going to shrink from condemning what the Bible says is wrong, but we're going to hold back. But let me read it to you one more time, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, because it says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He'll bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time each will receive their praise from God. 
And there's a fourth thing that I think is an implication of Judgment Day. Judgment Day motivates us to serve God. Every day matters. Your life matters. I just preached about significance. We talked about having significance and purpose. Judgment Day helps you to have purpose in your life because what you do has eternal significance and one day we'll give an account of this and we long to hear what Jesus says in Matthew 25, 21 when he told a parable about Judgment Day and about people who were entrusted various sums of money. It said his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. There's a day on a calendar of which we need to be aware. Like April 15th, like other significant days, he has set a day by which he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this by raising him from the dead. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we come to confess our sins. Because if there's any outstanding sin in our life, I don't want that to be uncovered before the whole world. I want to repent of it now. I want to turn from it now. And Lord, we come to invest our lives. Lord, we, we come to t- evaluate how we're spending our money and our time and our influence and our spiritual gifts. And Lord, help us to lay up treasures in heaven. Help us to build our lives well. And oh God, if there are those of us who are not ready for this one certain day on the calendar, then today, Lord, thank you that we can have forgiveness of sin by calling on your name and that all of the stuff in our lives would not be brought up on that day. Thank you, Lord. It's because of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I'll be at the Welcome Center after our service. If today you have a decision you want to share about accepting Christ, planning for baptism, I'd love to meet with you. If you want to join our church, meet with me there. I'd love to see you. Thank you for being here today. Will you stand and let's sing one more song before we head out. We are yours, Lord.
here. A couple of quick announcements. Uh, you can see the CDP classes that are listed there in your worship guide. Check those out. We've got some new ones beginning. Uh, make sure you look into those, what's, what's starting uh, this week, what's starting over the next couple of weeks. And so there's different classes that are available. Today is the deadline for camps and mission trips uh, this summer. And so if you have a, a kid, they have uh, the Center Kid deadline. That deposit is due today. And so they're going to Lee University in June. If you have a, a middle schooler, they're going to Milligan to do centrifuge, and that deposit is due today, $100 uh, for them. And uh, they're going to be doing centrifuge at Milligan, and so that's in July. And if you have a high schooler, it's uh, near the end of June, and so they're going to Missouri Baptist University to be doing a mission fuge, and so that $150 deposit is due today. And so all those are due today. Please get those in. If uh, some other arrangements need to be made, Please come and, and speak with me or speak with Megan about that for the kids' camp as well. Uh, if you're a guest with us, our lead pastor has a, a small gift for you. He'd love the chance to be able to meet you. As you're exiting out these doors, you can head down to your left, and as you go up that ramp, he'll be right there at the welcome desk. We invite you to stay for our Connection Group classes if you uh, don't have one yet. We'd love to be able to get you that information there at the welcome desk, so stop by there. As you're heading out, you always have the opportunity to worship through giving. Those boxes are there mounted on the back wall, and so you can give of your tithes and offerings there in those drop boxes as you're exiting. All right, let me close this out in prayer. Lord God, we pray that you um, just help us to be faithful, help uh, us to just evaluate our hearts and the, the way that we're living and to be prepared for Judgment Day. 
God, we thank you that uh, you give us your spirit, that you guide us, that you direct us, that you convict us. Uh, Lord, that you forgive us, that you enable us and empower us to live for you. And so, Lord, we pray that this week that we do that, that we live in a way that honors you, that we reach out to this world around us and point them to you, that we love others the way that Jesus uh, loves us. Lord, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. And you can't take away what the world